0: The question that we have been thinking about this Easter and we will continue to think about is the question why. Why did it have to happen in this way? Why is it that the cross was a necessary part of Jesus's work and his ministry? One of my favorite questions to ask youth group kids in like discussion group, is, why did Jesus have to die? Seems simple enough. All the good church kids go, well, it's because to save us from our sins, you know. Duh. Like, obviously, that's what it is, isn't it? Like, oh, yeah, okay. But but could there have been another way? Couldn't he just, you know, he's Jesus. Can't he just click his fingers and go, you're forgiven. Done. Wouldn't that be easier? You know, if someone like, Wrongs me. If someone steals something from me, what do I have to do to forgive them? I just have to say it and mean it, don't I? I just say, Ah, oh, forgive you for what you've done, and and then that is that. And this is when the church kids get a bit stumped. <laughs> They're not so sure. Yeah, why did Jesus have to die? It's the question we looked at last night a little bit, and we started with then. Jesus himself asks the father, is there another way? He prays to him, Lord, take this cup from me, if there is any other way, Lord. But of course, there is not. Not my will but yours, he says. There was no other path for Christ to walk. But why is this the case? The first reading which uh, we heard from Steve is the discussion between Jesus and Pilate. He's been arrested, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all of those guys. They, they don't have the power themselves to sentence him to death. They need kind of Pilate, the Roman uh, ruler, to make that final decree. They, they send him to Pilate telling him that he's a terrible man and he's done terrible things. But Pilate asks a few questions. As to why it is they want this Jesus guy dead. And very interestingly, in the story that we get from the book of John, which we've read, the question of kingship is key to their discussion. This question of kingship actually is this theme that runs throughout the book of John. You'll see it a number of times, more so than in the other gospels. But the conversation starts with Pilate saying, Well, are you a king? And when Jesus tries to explain a little bit of his kingship and a little bit of what that looks like, they kind of just go round and round in circles because the kingship that Jesus explains and describes is not a kingship that makes any sense to Pilate. Throughout his ministry, Jesus has been kind of redefining what it is to be Messiah, to be King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, and the kingship that Jesus comes with is not a kingship that uh, looks like any other kingships that the world has ever seen. So it's a pretty relevant question that that Pilate asks. He says, well, "Are you a king?" Because to look at him, he certainly isn't. He's like, "You're a king." He's looking at him. He's like, "What? What about you? Would make you a king?" You know, Jesus would have spoken with a broad rural accent not a man of wealth or means? In what way are you a king? And part of what John is doing there is drawing out this question for us as we read it. What does it mean for Jesus to be king? In what way is he king? What does his kingship look like? Because his kingship does not look like armies and palaces and servants and great wealth, does it? In fact, it's the opposite. His kingship is about humility and sacrifice. His kingship is about service and suffering. His kingship leads him to a cross where he submits himself to death. It is not forced upon him, but Christ chooses to go willingly to the cross not my will but yours he says but this doesn't answer our original question of the why why does jesus death on a roman cross serve to reconcile us with god serve to bring us into good standing into good relationship with god How does his pain and his suffering and his separation from the Father on the cross serve to bring peace between us and him? Well, I believe part of what it's about is God's perfect justice in making things right in this world because this is part of who he is. He is a God of order and of justice. Uh, If you have a car crash and the two parties can't decide who was at fault, you call the, the police or whoever it is in to look at the crash and decide who was at fault because when there is a crash, there is a cost associated to that accident, isn't there? There is a cost and someone needs to pay that cost. You can't just get back in your cars and drive off. For things to be put right, there needs to be a cost to be paid, and it needs to be decided for whom will pay that cost. If we are to live in a world of order and justice, and things to be right in this world, there needs to be appropriate cost paid for wrongs done. If someone uh, murders another person. It's not right for them to not be punished. It's not right for them to be no consequences, is there? If someone takes another life, whatever you believe about that, it is not right for that to be completely ignored or forgotten or overlooked. That's, That's not justice at all, that's the opposite. That's the miscarriage of justice. That's injustice and chaos. Now God is a God of justice and order. For things to be made right, there needs to be justice brought about. And here it is with our world. For things to be made right in our world, there needs to be justice. There needs to be a price that is paid. It is not right for all the wrongdoings of this world to just be forgotten or undealt with or swept under the rug. Who will pay for the six million lives lost in gas chambers? Who will pay for three million dead in the Cambodian killing fields? Who will pay for the hundreds of millions of lives that have been lost over the last hundred years in wars around the world? Who will pay for the fact that three million children every year will die of starvation, even though there is enough food in the world to feed everyone twice over? Who will pay for that wrongdoing? Who will pay this cost? Who will right this wrong? Who will bring justice where there is injustice? In South Africa, after the apartheid government was toppled, the country entered into this process they called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Is anyone familiar with that? Um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he was uh, a key part of that commission and he wrote um, a few books about it, I believe. Um, Fascinating to hear about the whole experience. It went for many, many years longer than they thought it would. But the purpose of it, was that after all of these years of this very uh, aggressive and tyrannical uh, government that had perpetrated all sorts of terrible injustices upon its people, how were they gonna move forward? How were they gonna be able to heal the hurts that were done? So they called this commission where the truth would be told when the victims and the perpetrators of the injustice would sit together And they would hear the stories and they would let this be the beginning of reconciliation, the beginning of this ability to move forwards. Because if they were ever going to move forward, they needed to deal with the mess that was behind them. They needed to deal with the wrongs that were done so that there might be peace so that there might be reconciliation. Because without this, facing these hard truths and some of these dark and terrible stories of things that had been done to people, lives that had been taken, sons taken from mothers,